Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. We are on episode 142 in the uh, the middle of July or so. We are uh, in the heat of the summer, but I hope you've had a, had a good summer so far. We're on the downhill slope of 2017, and so I hope your, uh, hope your year has gone well as well. So today, we are talking with Liz Saunders, and Liz is a, a friend of mine, someone I've known for a little while, and she has had a lot of speaking industry experience on both sides of the coin. So she has worked with speakers as a someone as a booking agent. So she's helped kind of negotiate and work with several different speakers. But she's also worked with different events who uh, have negotiated with speakers, and she's kind of helped put on events. So she's definitely seen both sides of the speaking industry. Has a lot of wisdom to share. So with Liz, we're going to be talking about the sales process of getting booked. So this is something that she has a lot of experience with on booking speaking engagements. So you got someone who's potentially interested in hiring you, what do you do from there? So we talk that through in depth. We also talk about how to follow up strategically to stay top of mind with clients. This is really important in the speaking business and uh, Liz lays out some great strategies on how to do that. We talk about how to price yourself as a speaker, which by the way, PS, side note, if you haven't already, uh, you definitely want to check out our free pricing tool on how to price yourself as a speaker. Uh, you can check that out over at myspeakerfee.com. Myspeakerfee.com. It is totally free and it's just a way for you to input some information, answer a couple questions, and it'll spit back a number at you as what you should be charging to speak. So definitely check that out. It's a lot of fun. Again, myspeakerfee.com. So we cover that. And then finally, we talk about how to negotiate. So someone, you know, you, you reach out and you quote your fee and they say, hey, we have less. What do you do? Should you negotiate? How do you negotiate? How do you make sure you negotiate value for value? So we cover all of that in depth as well. So let's get right into it. Here is uh, my conversation with Miss Liz Saunders. Enjoy. All right, what's up, my friends? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hey, today I'm joined by my friend Liz Saunders, who has uh, been in the speaking game for quite some time and uh, has done a lot on uh, both sides from the event perspective and then from the speaker's perspective. And so today we're going to be talking about fees and negotiating and how speakers can get the most bang for the buck. So, uh, Liz, how are you today? I am doing so well. How are you today? Doing quite well. Uh, always enjoy chatting with you. So backtrack a little bit. Tell us about your speaking industry experience your, and uh, kind of how you got into this space and what you do now. Absolutely. Well, 12 years ago, I was working for a curriculum company and also doing like their events. Is it me or is curriculum one of the most difficult words to spell? <laughs> it's not. You are not alone. Okay. I'm friend. just making sure. I'm making sure. All right. Sorry. Carry on. <laughs> no worries. And I was in their event department working as their coordinator. And we started with just one speaker and, you know, these conventions would call and say, this is what we do. And it was part of our marketing leg. So we just basically took whatever they gave us because 
all of our, you know, this one speaker, all of our at one point, they were on salary. So this was like icing on the cake, so to speak. Over the years, I was there for just six years. And by the time I left, we had seven speakers on our team and we had, you know, multiple teams traveling every week. We did 25 shows a year. And even though the speakers were just part of our marketing, not necessarily people who were living on their honorariums, it felt very much like the conversation was totally out of control. So in that time, when I left there, I went on and started booking for other speakers and did a lot more research around the negotiating topic. And so that's kind of how I got started. Nice. So you're working for this curriculum company and your speakers are going out. And so you're negotiating on their behalf or how is that kind of, or is it just kind of like you said, because they are, were that you said they were all salaried basically. So it was just kind of like whatever I can get them is just a bonus. Yeah, it was really, you just, I just kind of took whatever the conventions called and said, so they would call and say, listen, we want you to come keynote. We want this one of your speakers. We'll pay them a thousand dollars plus you know, booth space for your company. And that's usually how we made it. But our goal was exposure for the product. It wasn't necessarily that that speaker was living on that money. So it it was kind of a different model than where I ended up with the booking for speakers who are out making their living doing this. But yeah, yeah, when I started, that's how it was. So how did you transition then from the curriculum company to what came next? Next, I went to work for a New York Times bestselling author as her road manager, and I would also contract for her management company as one of their booking agents. So when I wasn't on the road with her, I booked for some of their other clients. And when she stopped traveling, then I transitioned to my own, and the the agency actually was also kind of restructuring at the time. It worked out really well because then they were like, listen, do you want these people who you are the only one who's been booking for. So then I kind of went out on my own and uh, booked for probably four or five of them for quite some time. What all does a a road manager do? What what all did that entail? I'm just curious. (laughs) So I joke that a road manager is every speaker's dream because all you have to do is show up and speak. Literally from the time you get off the plane, I'm like the person holding the sign, right? Like the you yeah. know, I, never get that. Rental yeah. Car. Yeah. I would usually fly in a little bit ahead of her so that I would have the rental car waiting, pick her up, take her to where we're going, get her checked in, make sure that she was, you know, in the headspace she needed to be in to go prep for her stuff. And then I would go set up the booth and, you know, scope the room, make sure all the audio was going to be okay. It wasn't, you know, an ice box or whatever I could do. And then when we walked into the room, she would just hand me her computer. I would go set up, plug into the projector, make sure that the slides were up and ready for her to hit the remote. And my goal was that all she had to do was walk onto the stage, (laughs) see her water on the appropriate place and start talking. So that really frees up the speaker to be able to spend the time with people who they're trying to pour into be in the right space before they walk up on stage and all of it. it was a fun, it was a really fun gig. <laughs> cool. Nice. All right. So then you are on, but on the back end side, you're doing, or you're continuing to do a lot of negotiation for potential speakers. So kind of walk us through, what would that be like? Were you doing much outbound stuff or is it more inquiries and requests that were coming inbound or what would happen from there? We did a mixture, but I would say probably 90% of what I did and continue to do is inbound calls. So the speakers that we worked with within the agency were all people who had people trying to get a hold of them and trying to get them to come and book. So they already had that name recognition in their markets and were in demand. So 
sometimes if we had something very strategically targeted, like somebody had gone to a conference and spoken and they came back with a list of leads, then we would do that. But those were always warm outbound calls. So most of what we did was fielding inquiries off of websites, different phone calls that would come in, even Facebook Messenger sometimes, you know, just however people were reaching out to these speakers, we would be the ones following up on that. And, you know, then we would, I would take the contact all the way through the sales cycle until it was, we don't have that much money. <laughs> We're going a different direction or yes, let's do this, you know, so whatever that looked like. So walk us through what that typical sales cycle would be. So I reach out for one of your potential speakers and I say, Hey, you know, I just saw so-and-so speak at an event. I think they'd be really cool at our event that's happening in six months. What happens from there? And, and, and cause I'm, I'm interested because most speakers listening to this don't have a Liz in their corner who's fielding all this. They're doing this themselves. So I think it's super helpful to, I think we all kind of, at times it feels like we just kind of make it up as we go and like this kind of evolved into (laughs) what my process became. But this was something you're doing day in and day out and, you know, living and breathing. So like walk us through when someone would reach out to you, what would happen from that point? Absolutely. Well, first I want to tell those speakers that are out there doing the hustle for themselves that right now you are the most effective person to be doing that hustle for yourself because- I cannot be as effective for you as you can be for you because you love your message. You love your people. And I have to build both relationships, one with you and one with those people. So know that you're doing the right thing. But when somebody would call for, you know, let's say if they called for you, Grant, I would talk to them. My first thing is, is I already know kind of where we stand and they generally have a knowledge of you, right? Because they've contacted us. But the the piece of the puzzle that we don't know is them. So I spend the first call asking a lot of questions. Tell me about your event. How long have you done this? Who have you had in the past? And really gaining perspective on what their event looks like. You know, have they done this for 10 years and they have four full-time staff that they're being paid to do this and they have keynotes and breakout sessions? Or is this like the Rotary Club and they have no budget and it's run by a volunteer? And all of those things are going to give you clues, right, as you go along as to how you're going to structure that end of the conversation where you start doing pricing and all of that stuff. So that first conversation usually ends up being that. And it it normally closes with pricing because that's what everybody wants to do. And I'm not a fan of dragging out the pricing conversation. You know, there have been times when I legitimately have to ask a speaker before I can quote something, but I try and be back on that super quick because people just don't want to wait for that information because you're either in their price range or you're not a lot of times when you're talking, you know, differences between they have $1,500 and you usually get 15,000. So But as long as you're within striking distance, you know, once you get to that end of the conversation and and a lot of times, once we do the pricing portion of the conversation, I'd say nine out of 10 times I get, okay, so I have to take this back to fill in the blank board committee, um, all the deacons, whatever the case is for that market. And they are just the person gathering information. And so at that point in the conversation, what that looks like for me is I spend time building that relationship with my advocate in the room. Because if you think about this, when they walk back into that room, you want them to feel like they're on your team, right? So, hey, listen, I know you're walking back into that board. Here's my cell phone number. And I know that they are probably going to think of things that you and I haven't talked about today. I'd be happy to answer your questions while you're in there. Shoot me a text. I'll be responsive as fast as I can be, hopefully, you know, while you're still sitting in that room so that 
we can make this as easy as possible on you when you're trying to tell them how great this is or, you know, whatever the case is. And right. I rarely get people taking me up on that. Like I've, I think I've answered two boardroom moment questions for right. people over the years, but people love it. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Just being available to them is huge. Yeah. And I think the oftentimes some of those initial interactions can really set the tone. And, and, mm-hmm. and this is one thing I, I tell speakers all the time is you're not there just to, to speak. You know, there's a lot of speakers yeah. who are amazing on stage, but if you're a pain in the butt to work with, and not in terms of like being a diva, but just like they reach out and say, what are your fees? We're interested. And it takes you two weeks to get back with them. Or you say that you're going to follow up and then you don't. And just those type of things, like they have millions of moving pieces happening in terms of an event. And so the speaker is an important part, but it's one part of a lot of moving pieces. So the more self-sufficient, the easier you are to work with, the easier it makes their life. So I think, again, you know, just the ease of working with you makes a massive, massive difference. So if you're saying like, hey, I'm available, and then you actually are available, that's huge. That makes a huge yeah. difference. And that can be the difference between getting a gig and not getting a gig, for sure. And I say this all the time, but it really is about who you know and who knows you. But in this situation, it doesn't necessarily have to be that they already know you really well. It's how much they feel like they know you coming out of that conversation. Yeah. You know, that can be the conversation where now they feel like they know you. And it's like, you know what? I really want to work with Graham because I felt super warm coming away from that conversation. And even if the logistics are not immediately obvious to them, they really want to make it happen. And that's where you want to be at the end of that conversation is building that relationship because whether it happens this time, next time or never, People that plan events talk to each other, you know, kind of speakers. We talk to each other, right? You know what, who is where and how much they're traveling. People who plan events talk too. And if you have been really nice and they warm, engaging, they walk away from that conversation feeling really positive. When they have that next conversation with somebody who maybe does have the budget for you, they're going to tell them about you. I talked to Grant. It was so great. I wish that we could have him. We're just not quite there or whatever the case is. And that works really well for you. So, okay, I want to walk through the sales process a little bit more. So they send that initial email or contact at some form. How quick should you get back to them? What should that look like in terms of, do I need to, and you kind of alluded to this, and I would agree, next step is to call them um, and not just exchange a bunch of emails. The best way to build rapport (laughs) with someone is to get them on the phone. So to actually call them, are you scheduling an appointment with them? Like, what does that kind of look like? Well, it depends on the type of inquiry. So I usually try, my goal is 24 hours. And I would say if you are going to consistently be more than 24 hours getting back to somebody, that part of your workflow process is that you have an automatic responder to them saying, we will get back to you within 48 hours or whatever your typical response time is so that you are setting that expectation for them so that they don't think, oh, my you know request got lost in the mail. But my normal is if I'm at a place where I'm at my desk, it's not 3 a.m. or whatever. As soon as I get that, I'll try and pick up the phone and call them and just catch them. Because if I just got that request, that's what they're doing right now. And if they're already in that mindset, you know, it's kind of like first one in also sometimes wins. Yep, I found that to be true. (laughs) Agreed. um, I actually had a client come back from a speaking gig and he called me and he said, so I want you to know that when she introduced me, she mentioned the fact that my booking agent was the first one to call her back and that that conversation is the reason she booked me. And she said that from stage. So then he led with, well, now you guys know that I'm just here because my booking agent responds quickly, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but really time is of the essence. And the sooner you can respond to the request to when it arrives in your inbox, the better I'd say 
24 hours needs to be like a standard. And if you have a response time that's more than that, then you need to manage expectations from your speaker page, autoresponders and everything from there. Yeah, totally agree <laughs> with all of that. And I found that to be the case on both winning and losing gigs. Um, there's times where I got it because I called. With, and it's that, again, going back to like setting the expectation or just the, the customer service ex- experience of like, I just hit the submit button and now my phone's ringing and you're there. Like that is really impressive, right? Yeah. So I think that can make a huge difference. Okay. So you get them on the phone, you talk to them, you are building that rapport, building that connection with them. And again, you want them to be the advocate. All right. So you've asked all the questions you want to ask, you know, about them, you know, about the event. And now there's the, um, so, uh, fees, uh, how much (laughs) is, what's your buzz? So how do you make that transition into talking about fees? Well, depending on if they've said, can we get back to fees, which a lot of times the client will drive the conversation back because really that's what they want to know. If they haven't pushed the conversation back and we're at that point in the conversation, I'll just kind of joke about it. I'm like, and now the real question that you asked me from the beginning, which is what are the fees involved in this? And, you know, kind of I'll circle the conversation back. And the way I do fees is I'll normally talk about the additional fees and then give the monitor, like, the honorarium number last because I like for that to be the last thing I say so that when I stop talking, they have an opportunity to finish writing process and then give me their reaction. And you can tell a lot based on their reaction, right? So as an example, when, if I was booking for you, I would say, listen, Grant has an honorarium, which I'll tell you in just a second, but additionally he charges travel. So it's one flight, one hotel room, one rental car, a per diem of $75 a day. And What that covers is his food, his gas, his mileage, parking at his home airport, all those things that you and I don't want to mess with receipts with afterwards. And his honorarium is $10,000, let's say. And then I stopped talking. And the silence is the most awkward part for everybody, (laughs) right? Like everybody on the podcast, even when you pause for that little bit, is like, is is the recording stopped? What happened? I don't, why isn't she talking? You know? But if you think about it, when you're on stage and you're presenting something and you pause to look at your notes or to drink some water, for you, it feels like eternity, right? Yeah, totally. Right. And But your audience doesn't even notice. Yeah. And it's the same in this sales setting. And it's going to be that awkward moment for you that's really crucial in this conversation because you need to give them a chance to process and give you their reaction. And yeah. I talk about interesting things in your contract, right? Like making sure that you've added in enough things in the conversation. Like, is Grant going to show up two days early and be part of this whole convention or is he flying in and out? And I tell people, if we haven't had that part of the conversation, I'll say there are still some variables that we need to talk about. And that gives you your negotiating room. So for the full honorarium, you're going to come in two days early. You're going to write a brand new presentation for him. You're going to share on your Facebook page, tweet about them, write an article ahead of time. And then when they pause, you get a sense of how much they can take within their budget already. So, you know, you've got that high point of your budget that you start at every time, regardless of if you think they have that budget or not. And then you add in those negotiables and that keeps you from appearing like your pricing is somewhat arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah. And you always want to make sure that there's something concrete attached to those numbers. So as people say, oh, we can't do $10,000, oh, we were thinking closer to five, then I've got ways to say, well, for that five, I can take up, you know, we can fly Grant in as opposed to him being there the whole time. We can let it be that he's not providing pre-show content 
and he's only going in to do the speaking. So it gives you ways to attach money to the things that you're offering as well, which is why I like when speakers will offer kind of those things that sweeten the pot. Yeah. You know, the, the event feels like they're getting a really good deal because, oh my gosh, he wrote an article for us. He shared it on his, he told people he was coming, his crowd kind of joined us. But those are the things that don't cost you anything other than a little time on the front end that can add a lot to the conversation. Right, right. Why is it so important to shut up after you quote a fee? You know, I've read a lot on it and it's that old school sales tactic. And the the actual saying is that the first one who talks loses. Yeah. So I don't actually follow that because obviously the event is going to talk and they don't always lose in the right. conversation. But it gives me that moment to let them process. And really it is important for them to have that moment to come back and react Right. because there's so much in their tone of voice in what they say, because sometimes you'll think they're like, okay, great. I'll take this back. This should be no problem. And you think, darn it, I didn't ask enough (laughs) (laughs) because you kind of want them to pause a little bit, but you know, but then there's also times when you just know that they are not even close and they'll be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I can't even take this back to our board. You know what I mean? And that gives you the opportunity to kind of take the next step with a little bit of context of where they're at. They're not always going to give you the perfect verbal cues, Yeah. but the more you do it, the more you hear what you're looking for. Like, okay. And that gives you the next step, which is either great. You know, what are your next steps in the conversation in way of who are you taking this back to? When's your next board meeting? When can I follow up? And I actually never ask, when can I follow up? Because as soon as they tell me when the next board meeting is, I just tell them, okay, great. I'll reach out to you after the meeting. If you have any questions beforehand, I'm happy to answer them. And then I usually try and reach out to them the day before the meeting and just make sure like that you're fresh in their mind and there is a resource and anything I can do to help while you're, you know, because a lot of times the people doing the actual booking are just, they feel so overwhelmed by all of the moving parts that you mentioned and they are not sometimes not as emotionally invested in the entire process of the actual event as much as they're in the admin nuts and bolts piece of it and so the more you can help them the better like they're just going to be like oh i just know if i work with grant's team that they're going to help me through this whole process because you've spent all this time on the phone and telling her about, you know, how it works and all these things. And you called ahead of time and you're back at the front of her mind. So I usually tell them I'll follow up with you the day after and then call the day before just as kind of a protocol. So, uh, and I think this is really, really, really important. And, and I can say from from my own personal experience that I think we were able to book, uh, I've been able to book a, a lot of gigs over the years in large part because of that step, because mm-hmm. we followed up and did what we said we were going to do versus what a lot of speakers may do is just say, here's my fee. And if you're interested, let me know. And it just falls through the cracks and they never follow up. But being really, really disciplined that if they say we're meeting next week or we're meeting three months from now or we're not yeah. making a decision for till the end of the year, like be super diligent because at some point they will be making a decision. And so the more you're staying top of mind, the mm-hmm. more likely they're going to be to book you. Even if you may not be the best option, but even like we've kind of been touching on, <laughs> yes. like you stayed on top of it and it just makes their life easier. 
there's so much more greater likelihood that you're going to get the gig. And I cannot stress that enough, like how important that is. So I'm curious on what's your process then? They say we have a board meeting in a month and we're going to be discussing that. What do you do there? Where are you making, you know, obviously you're not just writing it down on a piece of paper and hoping you magically <laughs> remember. So what's that process look like? Yeah, I have it all stored in my brain. Yeah, uh, don't recommend. Yes. No one ever who was successful. Right. I actually for years have used Salesforce, which okay. is very robust yeah. for what we use in the sales cycle, but it's how I learned. And so it's just kind of the way that I have it set up, but any way that you can automate it is always better. So I'm currently moving over to active campaign and they have like drag and drop boxes, but basically, I mean, anybody can do it with a Google calendar yeah. and an email inbox, right? So if I was doing this without one of my automated processes, I would go to Google calendar and I would say, okay, they're meeting in a month. And on my calendar, I'm going to put the name of the person I'm calling, a time of day. And then in the notes, I'm going to recap what we talked about. Because believe me, if you think that you're going to remember that conversation three weeks and five days from now, you're not. Yep. <laughs> you're going to be like, oh, that was Lisa. What did I quote them? <laughs> what did I tell them? Yeah, always put what you quote them in that box too. Yep. Because you know, if you gave them some sort of special thing and they're going to be like, but remember our first conversation, you're going to be like, I don't. <laughs> so really, really important notes. But the thing that I do then in those boxes is on the calendar, I'll move, okay, that three week mark, these are all my notes. Well, when I do my next follow up, and I'll put that on the calendar four weeks past that, because the committee didn't decide they had to push it because they had to discuss something more important that meeting. When I do that next follow up, I'm putting all those notes in a descending chronological order. So basically the most recent first, and I cut and paste the entire set of notes into that next calendar appointment. Mm. So when I open that up at the beginning of my day, that day, I'm like, okay, that's right. I'm talking to Lisa again, and we're going to discuss these things. And this is kind of where we're at in the conversation. Yeah. And if I can circle back to something really fast that you said, if you know that they're not making a decision for 10 or 12 months, mm -hmm. Don't let the first time they hear back from you be 10 or 12 months from now, just before their meeting. Right. I would put something like that on a two month rotation. You don't need to be all in their face weekly, right? Because then they're going to be like, oh, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> don't, nope, we did. Sorry, we made the decision, not going with you. Yeah. But every two months, just to kind of pop up and, and you can acknowledge, like, I know you're not making the decision. I just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. How's the process going? Have you had any luck with the venue, which you know that she was having a hard time with from your last conversation? You know, some of those sorts of things, put those in the conversation. And then they know that you're not just in this for the booking moment, yeah. right? Like you're in it for the conversation. Right. Well, I think it's also important to note that, and you kind of touched on this earlier, that there are oftentimes it's not the person you're talking to making the decision. Right. There's oftentimes, and they may ultimately help make the decision, but oftentimes they've got to run it up the flagpole or talk with other mm -hmm. people. Or there's a committee or there's, there's someone else involved with the process. Right. So, I mean, I, I had this exact conversation we've been talking through yesterday with a potential client. And I think ultimately, you know, from what I can gather, they're the decision maker, but they got to go check with a bunch of people. And then he's mm -hmm. gone, he's out of town for the next few weeks. So, you know, <laughs> circle back with him in a month. So I think oftentimes, like, especially if people are coming from a sales background, we get a potential client on the phone. We love the idea of being able to like, close it down, lock it down right then. But in speaking, uh, oftentimes it doesn't work like that. And it can right. take weeks and oftentimes months before someone actually makes a decision. So any thoughts on that, on just being patient and just kind of following up and, and doing what you said you're going to do? Yeah, I think, you know, 
it's kind of like any sales funnel or yeah, any sales funnel, you know, is six, 12, 18 months. You know, most of us have these long lead times and you just really have to make peace with the fact that you're most likely you'll book one or two that are next week or next month. But usually these events, I mean, especially if you're trying to get into keynote and these big conferences, you know, have a six or 12 month lead time for speakers. And, you know, it is a process and they would much rather just talk to you and sign the deal, but they do normally have to go back. And I will give one caveat for accepting the person on the phone as kind of who you're talking to, which is if you get the intern who's just making phone calls. Yeah. That's always the case where I try and find out who the decision maker or who that person that has mom or dad. (laughs) (laughs) That is legitimately the conversation, right? Oh, I'm sorry. You are not old enough for me to have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not ageist. I promise. It's, it's experienced dish or something like that, because right. trying to get through those people is important if you really want that gig, but it is a process because from the time those people start gathering information until the time it actually books, I mean, you know, depending on how type a their organizers are, it could be 18 months yeah. out. I mean, I have, clients that I'm talking to about 2018 and 2019 and like beyond right now, because they just, that's how far out they book. And I mean, I wish I was that organized in my life that I was booking things for 2020 right now, but good grief. So it's also important to remember in those conversations that let's say hypothetically that the, especially in the conference space, let's say they go with someone else, which happens Mm -hmm. frequently that they are going to do the same event next year and the year after that and the year after that. And I remember like early on in my career, like if I didn't get the gig, I'd be so ticked, you know, I'd be like, what the heck? Why'd they go with them and not me? But realizing like, oh, that's right. They're going to do the same song and dance next year. And the speaker they pick this year, they're not going to pick next year. So, so just staying, you know, building that relationship makes such a a huge difference. So, okay, let's come back to, in terms of the (laughs) follow-up piece there, what are you laughing yes. at? I'm laughing because I was thinking, yeah, don't yell fine and slam down the phone <laughs> if they don't go with you. <laughs> Please tell me you haven't done that. I have not. I okay, promise. Good, 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 good. Um, so, okay, to, to piggyback though on the, so you said you use Salesforce. Uh, I, I, for years, have used uh, HiRise. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily like a matter of what tool, but just having yeah. some system in place. I mean, even if yes. you're just, like you said, you're setting a Google Calendar reminder, that's fine. Just yep. do something that's yep. not like, like you said, I'm, I'm not just going to try to remember it in my head. And when I talk to them in a couple of weeks, it's all going to magically come flooding back. Never works like that. So just make sure you have some follow-up system in place. Yes. Okay. I want to come back to you quote the fee. Uh, let's say you quote 10,000 and they say, well, we only have 5,000. <laughs> how do you as a speaker know how far down you should come and how should you negotiate? What should you take out? What should you add in? Kind of talk us through the negotiation side of things. Well, I think... You know, it's important for everybody to know the the high bar that they start with. So that high, low, and interesting is kind of how I like to talk about it, which is you always start with your high point for your honorarium. Your low point is the least amount of money that you'll take. And you need to have that predetermined before you go into a conversation. And that's not to say that your friend's not going to call you and say, hey, I've got this conference. Will you come speak for me? I'll pay for your travel. And you don't take it because it's below your low point that yeah. you talk about. You have exceptions, and that's obviously your prerogative as a speaker. But when you're going into most conversations, it's important for you to say, you know, 5000 is the least amount of money that I'll take to be on the road because it takes me away from my home for four days. And while I'm gone, my house has to run by itself. The kids are there. I'm missing time with the family. Additionally, 
all of my income producing activities are, you know, booking leads and writing content. Well, if I'm on the road, that's all on pause. You have to figure out what it's worth for you to be on the road, right? Once you've figured that out, it makes your conversation much easier because you've got a range now. Like I'm going to charge between five and ten thousand dollars. Once you have that framework, you'll be surprised how much it frees you up mentally to not like stress out because you just know if somebody calls and says, "Listen, I've got fifteen hundred dollars," that you might offer them a Skype presentation, but it's not worth you being on the road for that without some other thing. Now. I talk about the interesting piece of the honorarium conversation, which is different ways that you can monetize those contracts. So as an example, if you have a book and this happened to one of my speakers last year where they couldn't quite hit her low level of her honorarium range, but what they offered to do was take from their marketing budget instead of their event budget. And they bought for staff development, all of their staff, a copy of her book. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic, right? Because they made up the monetary piece in income and it's more exposure for her because everybody who walks out of that room leaves with a copy of her book to go read and then tell somebody else about. So, you know, being open to those sorts of things. But when you start that conversation at 10 and they say, we've got five, you know, and you're like, okay, well, that's still in my range. And then your, your internal conversation, and this is really something that you have to figure out ahead of time. And I even recommend having like a very loose list of what each of those things that you've offered costs. Yeah. So being there for additional two days is probably $2,500 of that $5,000 that you're giving up, right? Yeah. Pre-show content is probably $1,000. Depending on what your Twitter and your Facebook presence are and where your group or your followers are most engaged, you know, that's maybe another thousand dollars, whatever those things are. So when you start knocking that stuff off, you have a a number attached in your mind to what that's worth to you Yeah, and work yourself down that list. So you can even talk to them through not that exact monetary outline, but listen, we can start taking some of this stuff away. Tell me what your priority is in this conversation. For sure. We want to be there with you guys. After that, what are the things that are most important to you? And you can start building around their priority list and taking off the things that are not as important to them. Yeah. And I think an important thing to note in that is that you're not, you know, if if you would typically, let's just say for what we've been talking about, let's say you charge 10 and they say they have five. Don't just say, sure, I'll do everything we've discussed for five. Like just for the heck of it, like you're just throwing in a coupon out of the blue. So it's, I think it's really clear or it's really important to negotiate value for value. So there's some things that, like you said, if you're doing a lot of bells and whistles there, you can subtract a lot of those things out. The other thing too, I remember, I remember a speaker telling me early on that something that was really valuable was looking for other ways that they can increase value to you. Mm -hmm. Meaning, Let's say you're a new speaker and you don't have really good demo video footage, but you know at the event that you're speaking at, that there, yes. you could be speaking at, that they're videoing it with a fancy crew. You know, So saying like putting in the best part of the deal that I want a copy of the footage, you know, like mm-hmm. that means nothing to them, but it's important to you, you know, yeah. or I remember working with a client a couple years ago saying, and they had a smaller budget, but I knew it was a, an influential type of event. And I said, tell you what, if I do a good job for you, I would like for you to write a recommendation letter and send it to five specific event planners that you think mm. could book me, right? Because again, that's a couple minutes for them, but it's important to that if that turns into one, two, three events, that's huge, you know, for me. So just look for some of those other things. I, there was another one. I remember uh, it was at, um, what's the name of it? A Great Wolf Lodge, you know, that mm-hmm. indoor water park. Yeah. And the event happened to be hosted there. 
And I said, tell you what, can you just pay for a couple extra days for my family to come? And they're like, totally, because they already had some type of deal worked (laughs) out. So it was nothing to them. So my family came and we spent several days there, which would have been, you know, a bunch out of pocket. So again, the point is just like, look for ways that you can get value out of it as well. So it's not just, well, you know, I quoted 10, they have five, so we'll just do five. There's a lot of things that they can do on their end that can make up some of that value for you. Yeah, well, and the very succinct way that I tell the people this a lot of times is never give something up without making them give something up as well. Yeah. Because you want it to be a very concrete conversation. If it feels really like, woo, yeah, five, I'll do everything we just talked about for five, they're kind of like, why did you even start with 10? Just start with five, you know? Yeah. Well, the other thing too, and, and you kind of touched on this earlier, is that the speaking industry is can be small ponds, a bunch of small mm-hmm. ponds. So, well, we just had you know Liz come speak, and she did it for this. She did it for five. We paid her ten. <laughs> what all did you get for that? Well, oh, we did all the same bells and whistles. You, yeah. you know, so like those things can really backfire on you. But if you're able to justify it and say that you got a very, very different package thing than this person got. You just have to, again, know what some of those variables are. And you mentioned too, like the, the time piece. I think that's really important. Like I'm going to be more firm in my price if I have to travel a long way versus yeah. I live here in Nashville. So if I drive 30 minutes to do a gig and then I can be home, one thing that my wife and I joke about is how many sleeps is, am I going to be gone? You know, yeah. my daughter's always, anytime I leave to go on a trip, how many sleeps is daddy gone? So the fewer sleeps I have to be gone, mm-hmm. the more valuable that is to me, you know, so yep. I'm definitely more willing to, to negotiate. So I think, again, just knowing what those factors are, those things that you are willing or not willing to negotiate on can really make a big difference there. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Any, as we kind of wrap up here, any kind of final words of wisdom as we're kind of thinking through, you know, this whole sales process as well as negotiating and, and fees and all the, that goes into the, the back end of this? I would just say when you quote your price, be confident about what you're doing. And remember that you have something that not only are you passionate about, but is going to bring value to their attendees or people that you're talking to. Be confident in what you're asking them for because you're worth bringing in for that price. Yeah, very much so. And uh, when you quote your fees, shut your mouth. Just be quiet and don't. My fees ten thousand or whatever. You know, just quote we're speakers. It. It's really tough, right? It is. Like it you is. got a group of people. Well, because that often, want it. like oftentimes, we <laughs> as speakers, it's really difficult to to disassociate the service that we offer with who we are because we are oh. the product. So to say like, well, if they don't like it, they don't like me. That's not true, right? They just, they have a budget that they have to stick to that has zero reflection on you as a human being. Yeah. So and remember that you have to make use of your time in a way that's valuable to you. So just yeah. because they have five doesn't mean that you're worth five. Totally. Very well said. All right, let's say if people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, where can we go? The booking stuff is currently at tivich.com, which is T-I-V-I-C-H.com. And that is my three kids, the first two letters of their names. Cool. <laughs> and uh, negotiatebettercontracts.com. Awesome. Very cool. We'll be sure and link up to all of that in the show notes. So Liz, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate you. Thanks, Grant. It was fun. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Liz Saunders all about the sales process and how to book speaking engagements, how to price yourself, how to negotiate. All really strong stuff there from Liz. Hey, again, let me remind you, if you want to learn more about what you should be charging as a speaker, make sure that you stop by and check out myspeakerfee.com. Again, myspeakerfee.com. Just a fun free tool there where you can price and just can answer a couple questions there and get some pricing on what you should be charging as a speaker. So check that out, myspeakerfee.com. 
www.thepodcastnetwork.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up episode 142. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.